This is episode three of the Therapy Ideas podcast, a series of conversations with speech and language therapists from around the world. I'm Rhiannon Walton, and I'm talking to Tanya Coyle about working in a consultative service, ways of being efficient when carrying out assessments and reports, and the wall of awesome. Find out more about the podcast series at therapyideas.org or subscribe via iTunes by searching for Therapy Ideas. I'd like to welcome Tanya to the Therapy Ideas podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Tanya, all the way from Ontario in Canada. Welcome. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. Good. Um, So... I want to start off by asking you about the service that you work in because sometimes you describe yourself as an assessment machine. Um, explain to us like the rationale behind the way your consultative service is structured and works. Uh, yeah, well actually I think I on Twitter I've even created a little fake hashtag about it but I call myself the assessment donkey <laughs> because I come into these schools with a suitcase of assessment materials and bags of files over my shoulder like some sort of pack mule. Yeah. Uh, I come at my work. I leave. Um, but yeah I work for a school board and um, in my board just in my particular board this isn't necessarily an Ontario or Canada thing okay. um, but the SLPs do all the assessment the goal setting we consult we do all the feedback meetings all the report writing yeah that you know fun stuff <laughs> and we have CDAs or communicative disorders assistants so um, in the states I think they're sometimes called SLPAs or SLP assistants okay. um, they do all the therapy under our supervision and I'd say about of my caseload, give or take on any given kind of year or time of year, but about 40% of my caseload gets regular therapy through them. Yeah. They just, they don't get the regular therapy from me. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's, and then if there's students who aren't getting therapy, then they're on consult. And so I'm providing programming um, and consulting with school staff and parents to help them know the strengths and weaknesses um, at the moment and then how to support and help those students um, academically and uh, primarily academically but I also do stuff you know for at home as well. Okay okay so with those kids the the parents or the school staff are supposed to be implementing the programs? Correct. Okay yeah yeah so so do you get to do any of the therapy? Uh, this year I got to do a couple of therapy sessions. It's not that I'm not allowed to do the therapy. It's that I have such a high caseload with the assessment. Yeah. Uh, you know, assessment donkey yeah. answer yeah. right here um, that I just don't get a chance. I don't have time to be doing regular therapy. Okay. Okay. And so, so what do you think are the kind of the bits that work really well about that model and the bits that perhaps don't work so well? Well, pros, I get it. It definitely saves money, and it actually doesn't work too badly. Um, I came in to the school board as they were just switching from a primarily therapy-based model to a primarily consultative-based model, and I was really worried. Um, But it works out better than I thought it would. Um, Sometimes you just have to let go and, you know, try something new and realize, hey, actually, yeah, uh, I get to discharge kids in grade two to four 
as age appropriate more often than I really would have thought I would. I, I would have thought, oh, well, that's it for kids, you know. Yeah. It's not. Um, I get a much more flexible work schedule because yeah. I'm not locked into therapy times. Yeah. So it lets me spend more time focusing on higher need schools that I might have if needed or to sit on various committees in our community, um, which is good because then, you know, if their meetings or whatever are when I would have had therapy, then that would have precluded me or kids would have been missing therapy. So yeah. it kind of, it's nice that way. Cons, I definitely miss therapy. Uh, I think there's maybe one speech path at our board who doesn't necessarily miss the therapy. She loves assessment. And it's not that I don't love assessment. I do. I like the puzzle. Um, you know, I've gotten much better at it, obviously, because yeah. it's what I do yeah. 24-7. But I do miss therapy. Um, and I do feel strongly that in therapy informs your and improves your assessment and vice versa. Yeah. So as you get better at assessment, you get better at therapy. As you get better at therapy, you get better at assessment. So now I, I am missing that piece, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, which kind of sucks, but and I do tend to have kind of a higher caseload because they can just dump these kids on me that I'm assessing. But at the same time, am I reaching more kids because I don't have to cap assessments? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I don't get to know the kids as well either. I usually only see them once, maybe twice a year. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited when a kid remembers who I am. It's it's a big day for me. Aww, <laughs> so yeah. I don't usually expect them to remember me, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So building that relationship with them. Yeah. So difficult. I'll build I'll get to know them really well. They don't remember or realize that I know them really well. Um Yeah. So, yeah. So you know all yeah. about their strengths and weaknesses, but they've only met you yeah. once or twice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And or, you know, sometimes they're on your caseload for a good five years or so, but even still, they'll only sort of vaguely remember you or they remember the the, the CDA. So yeah. I have to latch on to them. Oh, remember Kim? Who yeah. Working with? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I work with her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, yeah but, absolutely. Yeah. But it's fine. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting um, what you say about being able to, to discharge more children in grades two to four than you expected, because I guess yeah. that would be a, a common worry for people if they're not so hands-on with the therapy, perhaps the progress would be slower, but that's not necessarily what you found. No, absolutely not. And I wasn't worried about the CDA relationship. I was worried about how many kids would even get therapy. Yeah. Uh, but we've worked out a pretty good system where they get therapy through the year and... Um, yeah, it just, it works out better than you would think. It's it's scary to try new things, but uh, I don't mind it. Good. It's, I like to get a little more therapy. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is it your, For myself. Yeah, absolutely. And is it your role, Tanya, to to um, coordinate the, the schedules of the, the CDAs? It's... Not really. Okay. My role is um, at the very beginning of the year, based on the initials that I know are coming in from the preschool speech and language yep. and based on, you know, existing caseload and how, how significant the needs were for kids that we had on therapy caseload last year, I have to figure out how many spots, therapy spots each school would get. So of course a bigger school or a school that has higher needs would get more therapy spots than a really small little country school. Yep. Um, so figure out how many spots they need, um, figure out which kids are going to get that you know, which kids are getting those spots, set yeah. the goals for them. But they are, in the meantime, while I'm figuring out the goals and assessing like a mad woman in the fall, they are scheduling out so that, the, you know, as little travel time between schools as possible yeah. and to get all the therapy spots in, um, excuse me, into those schools. So they do 
they figure out their schedule. But once they have their schedule, that's it for the year. It's locked in. Yeah. Okay. Um, but again, I'm also shocked at how few children, I only usually have maybe one to four a year, on a caseload of something like 150 to, to 180 kids that didn't get therapy that I, w- I really desperately wish they could have. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's that's really not bad, is it? No, it's Considering, really yeah, no. what we're hearing on Twitter about how stretched everyone is around the world, yes. I think, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and you've mentioned that you, you know, you assess like a mad woman in the fall. Um, can you, can you share some, some kind of time saving efficiency tips and tricks with us? Because you must do a lot more assessment than, well, than definitely your average therapist over here in the UK. Yeah. Um, so can I you... did 150 this year. Whoa. And uh, Friday was my last assessment this year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Actually, some of my colleagues got really hit hard. One, one did 211 this year school year yeah that's yeah crazy. so that, that was a bit much though I, I think mm. 150 is good I felt good about that I, I had a good pace okay. and yeah I guess I've just I've become really judicial about the form of assessment I might use or which subtests I give yeah so now and I have this freedom in the states and I don't know what it's like in Britain they don't always have this freedom but in Canada you know it's really left completely up to me who I'm going to admit or not admit and whatever. Okay. So I almost never give the entire self, yep. for instance. Yep. Um, I'll pick and choose based on parent and school concerns and then what I see happening while the assessment goes on. Yeah. So I've gotten really good at judging which tests or subtests I need to administer yep. based on um, what the concerns are and then the concerns I might start to have as I'm watching them do other subtests. Yeah. So maybe if I give following directions and understanding spoken paragraphs, they're doing okay. I don't need to waste my time with sentence structure, which yep. is, these are the subtests. I don't know. If yeah, yep, yep. I'm Pete, with you. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, so um, that kind of thing so I can skip stuff. Or, you know, if they're having real trouble on a certain subtest, I'll be like, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to go back and give this one to double check that it's not memory and maybe it's language-based, not memory-based, yep. or to tease that out. Yeah. So I, I've definitely gotten much more efficient at that Yeah. Um, since I started the school board. Um, what else? And well, what, sorry, and reports, I, do you think, do you, do you feel like that, um, that sort of efficiency is also carried through to the report writing as well, that you can, you can kind of summarize your thinking more quickly or... Well, yeah, for a reassessment, I'll rarely do the subtests where they were age appropriate the year before. Yeah. Um, I'll just measure the areas of weakness and track those changes to update goals. Yeah. But I have lots of templates. So I have two major templates for my reports, one with all male pronouns and yeah. one with all female pronouns. Yeah. So I'll start with that template. And it's got pretty much every table I ever want to use, um, much of the wording for various, what difficulty may mean in the classroom, stuff like that. Yeah. And then I'll use find and replace to replace the name yeah. all the way through the document. Yeah. And then I just add and delete as necessary. So the, the template's a constant work in progress, but definitely saves me time. Yeah. I also have a list of goals, you know, the common goals I might give yeah. and several lists of various like suggestions for classroom or home broken down by you know, their area of need or whatever, I can copy and paste those in the report and then rework them to suit that student or that situation. So templates are pretty much a lifesaver for me. I I couldn't be as efficient without all these templates. Yeah. 
Yeah. And home programming. I do a lot of home programming uh, for kids who are in consult. So tend to do a whole lot at once. So I'll get a whole bunch of kids that I've assessed at once. And, you know, you tend to have the same goals reoccur. Yeah. Um, so I'll figure out what I want to give to whom and how. then I figure out how many copies of each package I need. So I need like, you know, 10 for categorization yeah. and, you know, three for... I don't know, a third person singular or something like that. And then I'll I'll just copy that number of things. You know, I've just yeah. you do, you tend to find ways to save time rather than starting all over again or you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a constant work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to get more efficient. Yeah. No, I can imagine because like I I don't use the use the self or as we call it the calf um, right. um I don't use it very often at all and I'm always having to open it up and remind myself you know how does this subtest work again and is this you know and I'm, and I'm not even that great at telling if the child is doing well because some of them are quite yeah. you know you, you, they have to get a certain number don't they in order to get a certain standard score and blah 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 blah, blah. and I'm not even and I think oh he's not doing too badly and then I go back and score it up and I'm like oh actually that's really not good at all and um, yeah. so I can see how if you get really really familiar with those assessments it would just be much much quicker and easier oh for sure and I'll have a sense halfway through the subtest where we're going with this whether this is like sometimes I even have a sense you know we're walking down the hall my assessment starts as we're walking down the hall (laughs) right obviously and and I'll be like oh okay I need to focus more on grammar with you or um wow I don't even see that there's a problem that's interesting uh (laughs) you know so uh, yeah, but then as you do each subtest, you certainly get a gut feeling like right away. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm still wrong, <laughs> but um, I definitely get a gut feeling, especially for the kids who are in, say, senior kindergarten to grade four, which are the, that's the predominant part of my caseload. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm assessing a grade eight or something, I, I it's harder for me. Yeah. Grade eight would be like 13. I yeah. don't, I, you guys do it differently, but yeah. Yeah. So I, that's harder for me because I don't see them as often and so I, that gut isn't there but yeah. yeah yeah that definitely makes it faster yeah and you you referred a little bit earlier to the to the American system now can you clarify for us they 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 have to do certain subtests and the child has to get below a certain score in order to be admitted for therapy is that right I that's my understanding okay. just now since being on Twitter and talking to a lot of Americans and I don't think it's the same everywhere okay uh, but I think lots of states or school boards or whatever have because they're billed through their medic I don't know they, they bill through a different way than we do like okay. they have to worry about filling out all this insurance forms and stuff that I, I don't there's no, I don't deal with money. I just, no. I see my kids, I do my thing. Yeah. It's all covered under the Ministry of Education. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like they'll have to have less than a certain percentile on two different tests, not even just subtests. I don't think now you might want to talk to an American to yeah. for sure, because I'm sure I'm muddling this. But um, yeah, they have to have a certain level of severity. So you have to give the entire self and okay. then it's the conglomerate score yeah. yeah, and then on another subtest as well, like maybe, um, you know, the PPVT or something as well in order to qualify. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's they quite different. Yeah. Yeah. Is, I don't know how that works in Britain. No, but. no, we don't have that at all. And um, I guess we sort of judge 
priority and severity kind of di- on a sort of case by case basis and very differently so, from like one locality to another so you know in my part of London we might do it one way and in on the other side of London they may have completely different criteria for therapy and that's you know just how it is and not a problem um so yeah quite quite a different way of thinking about it isn't it um it is yeah yeah and so those are kind of the the formal norm referenced assessments do you do you use many informal assessments as part of your battery or I do um I really like to use formal assessments, but I do make a lot of notes in the margins. <laughs> Behavior, attention, cues that helped, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't take every error on a standardized test as gospel. Okay. The student knows or doesn't know, right? I try to look for patterns. Yeah. Uh, but I think informal assessment is really important, and we, can, we can't rely purely on the formal. Um, you know, once in a blue moon, I'll kind of rely almost purely on formal, but but rarely. Um, I'm always trying to pay close attention to see if I think even that's a good measure of their skills. Some kids, you know, they're nailing it and you're like, wow, but then they, you know, you're just chatting with them yeah. and it all falls apart. Absolutely, or yeah. it's falling apart and you're like, but when I chat with them, there doesn't yeah. seem to be a problem. So, um, you know, I think standardized assessment has its place, but it, it certainly isn't the be all end all. Um you know, and if I was only using formal assessment, I don't think I would necessarily notice other issues that might require referral to someone else, like yeah. central auditory processing difficulty or, you know, gee, have you thought about referring this guy to OT because yeah. this, this and this, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, there needs to be a dialogue with the child. I need to be observing the entire child all the time, and making other notes beyond just their formal. Yeah, formal yeah. assessment stuff. Now, when I don't have a formal assessment, I still, I wouldn't say I feel lost. It's, it's, it's nice in a school setting to have that default back on. Yeah. Um, just because you can say, well, compared to these other kids, they do this way. Yeah. But, um, you know, I do have other informal assessments and phonological awareness. I do a phonological awareness screen on pretty much every kid I see. And I, that's informal. Yeah. I don't use um, a standardized test for that, Okay. for instance. Yeah, yeah. And an issue we have over here is um, the massive number of bilingual or trilingual, in many cases, children. So then we have difficulties, obviously, <laughs> reporting standard scores yeah. because they're not valid. So, um, yeah, I think we, right. we sort of swing the other direction. If you meet a monolingual English-speaking child, it's like, wow, get out the standardised assessment. It's valid. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I can go sort of you know several months without assessing a child who's monolingual so um that's wow yeah it's quite it's you know quite I think different. in Toronto or some of the bigger cities London it would London Ontario yeah. it would be like that um I'm kind of a small border town I, uh, most of my schools are rural yeah I really don't get a lot of that unfortunately okay. yeah um, I would like to have more of that, but I get some bilingual, the French English. Yes, those are our two official languages, and I get kids who are in French immersion, so they're taking school in mostly French, and I have to make um, whatever, I have to accommodate that, although their first language is almost always still English, (laughs) French is their kind of second language only at school, so it doesn't affect me the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you use uh, an informal phonological awareness um, assessment, and you've also developed a, a a checklist for early communicators that is on the <laughs> SLPEEPS resource share. So can you tell us about why and how you developed it? Sure. Uh, just 
really quickly because yeah. I have to do this. But the, the phonological awareness test I also wrote, and oh. it's an app. So now I, I use that as an app. It's called the Profile of Phonological Awareness. Of course, yeah. Uh, but I wrote it based on other informal ones I'd done and whatever and various research I'd done on the pro- – but the assessment checklist for early communicators um, – I created that when I was actually doing preschool service, yep. and I would have so many children who were nonverbal or preverbal, and even the PLS, you know, the uh, preschool language skill, it yep. just wasn't, it wasn't of any help, really, <laughs> to find out much in the way of strengths and weaknesses, skill level, motivators of the child, or to set any sort of goals that would be useful. Okay. So... Um, what I would do is I would end up doing a lot of informal assessment with these kids, watching, playing, trying to interact with them, talking to the parent. Um, and then, you know, I created it primarily with autism in mind. Yeah. But I ended up using it very frequently with other children who, you know, for one reason or another, couldn't be accurately assessed with standardized assessment. Um, and what I found is I would, you know, I, I got okay, pretty good at this whole informal assessment thing. But I, then afterwards, I'd be like, oh, I forgot to ask about this. Oh, I forgot to notice that. Oh, I didn't write down that. So, yeah. so I developed the checklist to help remember and make a report writing faster and easier. Help me remember what I wanted to ask the parents, what I wanted to observe in the child, what I wanted to try and elicit in the child. Um, nowadays, I use it primarily for children with autism again on my caseload. Yeah. Um, although occasionally for other students as well. And, uh, yeah, and then I put it on the resource share. So the resource share is kind of the brainchild of Sharika Bentham, yeah. who you've already done a podcast yeah, with. Yeah. Um, and several of us uh, who knew each other on Twitter, we kind of jumped on board and helped her to create that. That was oh, probably two years ago now. Um, we helped her to create and organize it. So it's a series of folders in Google Docs. Yeah. And it contains all sorts of files that can be helpful for SLPs really for just about every population or disorder that you could name or imagine. Um, you know, some things are heavier than, have more in them than others. Yeah. Just because, you know, you tend to get more people in peds than, say, voice disorders. I don't know. Although, there, even that one actually has quite a few things in it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it's there to be shared amongst everyone. Of course, we always make sure that people have the copyright on that. Yeah. And if they don't, then we ask them to get it so there are even some things in there by Barbara Hodson or um, by Wayne Secord but people actually like approached them and said hey do you mind if I put this here and they, yeah. well, what's that okay yeah sure <laughs> you know? yeah. so um, we did we were careful about that but yeah and then it spawned the creation of the SLP goal bank so there's a goal bank in the um, <clears throat> the resource share yep. just a bank goals that people were throwing in, hey, this is what I do for fluency. Hey, this is what I write for whatever. Yeah. Um, and then that also became an app, actually, eventually, which is funny. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's um I think it's amazing and really brilliant how open and willing to share everybody is. I think there's a kind of feeling perhaps like, oh well, you know, I put work into this and uh, and it's like, no, other people are using it and adapting it. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And, I, you know, so what? So you worked on it. I don't know. Like, unless you're planning to go out and sell it, yeah. why would you not share your... I, I think we tend to be a very sharing community. Yeah. Speech paths, you know, speech therapists. We don't... Um, I don't know. We tend to... We're, we're collaborative by nature, right? Yeah. <laughs> some, some professions aren't, but I, I think our profession, and I love that about our profession. Yeah. We're very collaborative by nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. 
and just getting all those ideas it's it's brilliant um well to, i want to pick your brains because <laughs> i think a lot of people over here are thinking more and more about how to work through other people and reducing the amount of direct therapy we do with the kids mm-hmm. um so you're supervising the the cdas that you that you work with um who carry out the therapy um can you tell us about sort of the 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 skills they have the type of training they have and how that works Sure. Now, CDAs specifically, or Communicative Disorders Assistants, are sort of specific to Ontario, although there are SLPAs and other support personnel across Canada. Um, They're not directly regulated. uh, They're indirectly regulated through us. Okay. But in our professional, um, like you have RCSLT or whatever, we have CASLPA, and they are um, welcome for membership in CASLPA, and CASLPA does support them and have a scope of practice for them. Okay. So, yeah, they, um, CDAs specifically, the ones I work with, they do a postgraduate diploma in communicative disorders. So they have to have done something else prior. Some do, um, you know, a bachelor of whatever. Some do uh, a college program like early childhood education or um, autism intervention or whatever. And then, so they have to have done something before to get in. And then it's a very, very full year of coursework. So they do like child language one and two, adult neuro one and two, like stroke rehab and and motor speech and stuff. Our tech and phonology, audiology, oral rehab, fluency, voice, clinical practices and therapy, anatomy. It goes on and on. They have a lot of coursework. And then they also complete two different seven-week practicum placements with SLPs or audiologists to graduate. Now, the difference, the reason they're called CDAs is because they aren't just speech pathology assistants. They're also trained in audiology and oral rehab. Okay. So they can also be an audiology assistant, um, which more and more audiologists are are jumping on that and utilizing them. Um, So they basically specialize in therapy delivery. They don't need to then worry about assessment, goal setting, counseling, and all that. It's not even in their scope of practice. Yeah. they can't set or change goals, so they have to be supervised by a speech pathologist or an audiologist. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I love working with CDAs. I do teach in the program near me. There's a, a CDA program near me. But okay. even before that, I had so much great experiences working with CDAs. Um, you know, when I first graduated, I had to then supervise the CDA, and I'm like, ooh, geez. Uh, you know, yeah. I swear that I learned more about therapy from her by, you know, quote-unquote supervising her yeah. than from anyone else or any of my class, my clinical hours, and my master's degree. Wow. It was just, she was just amazing, and I learned so much about, um, you know, therapy and being flexible and on the fly and, and yeah. whatever. So I find they generally have a very high skill level. Um, they're trained in evidence-based practice for yeah. clinical approaches, note-taking, stuff like that, so that they can track progress or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, you know, because they don't have to worry about assessment and report writing, it really frees them up to become masters of therapy yeah. um, in their careers. So, yeah, they're really fantastic to work yeah, with. Yeah, they, they sound it. And I think, you know, in order to be able to hand over... Pro- therapy programs and targets you know you need to know that the person you're handing it over to has those skills and I think Absolutely. that's something that we that we're I don't want to say struggling with perhaps focusing on is a more positive way of putting it but um yeah no that program yeah. sounds amazing that they come out 
ready ready with all those, those highly skills. trained yeah, yeah, they really absolutely. do um and then they know your terminology they know your jargon yeah so you know i can say blah 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 i can give them even you know like the the um the ipa stuff for that and say oh they need to work on sh- initial and final and they need to work on blah 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 at, you know and yeah. they just go and do it and they they know exactly what i mean yeah um which i think if you had someone on the job we don't have on the job trained um, support personnel anymore okay. but uh, back when they did you know that that would have been a scarier scenario for me yeah yeah um, it certainly does require a, a, a certain amount of release of uh, power release of something right um, yeah control once you've yeah. done it yeah that's it release of control but once you've done it and you have to build obviously that um, relationship with them and that trust and my regulatory body um, does outline you know the rules for supervising, you know, and I need to be doing a certain amount of direct and indirect supervision with them. So discussion, yeah. whatever. And then when you get a new CDA to you, you are required to do like 20 or 30% okay. direct watching them supervision until you build that trust and say, okay, yes, I, you're good. Or, okay, I'm going to just help you to learn to do a few of these things, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so we do supervise them directly and indirectly, uh, have a lot of discussion with them. They tend to have their finger on the pulse, um, you know, and they just get to know the kids so much better, uh, which is great. They can be a real resource that way too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, they sound like a really, really good resource. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. I, it's great working with them. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous. I need to find some. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've lucked out. The two that I work with right now, have both been doing this for 15 years. Wow. So that's a little longer than I, you know, I've only been a speech pathologist for eight. Yeah. So I have to give props to the fact that they know a lot of stuff, you know, and one day we just got it, someone new to us and I was watching her do therapy and I, I even started tweeting about it. I was like in awe of her, like, oh my God, she's using the same materials for like 10 different goals and yeah. to amazing effect. Yeah. She's taking multiple moments. She's better than me. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, you do have to let go of a certain amount of yourself there and, and be like, no, you know what? They can't set the goals. They can't give prognosis. They can't. But what they can really do well is therapy. Yeah. And you have to just let, them, let yeah. them do it. But it's great when you have those supervision relationships where they, you know, where the learning goes both ways, isn't it? And that's, yes, that's absolutely. Really, really useful. Um, brilliant. Well, I just want to um, wrap up by talking a bit about your blog because um, we were talking before about how it's got a real focus on social media. Um, So I would advise any listeners who are looking to kind of work out how social media and speech and language therapy go together to check out Tanya's blog, which you can find at lexicallinguist.wordpress.com. Did I get that right? Yes. Yep. Great (laughs) stuff. Um, And there's loads of great blog posts there. Um, one that really stood out for me um, and that I, I want to try at the moment is that the Wall of Awesome. Tell us tell us about mm. that. Um, yeah, okay. Well, so there's this Toronto author, Neil uh, Pastrika, who'd written the Book of Awesome, it's called. Okay. And um, he also has a blog called 1000awesomethings.com um, that kind of spawned from the, blo- from the book. And <clears throat> he'd been going through a lot of dark times in his life 
So he started this list for himself to kind of perk himself up, remind him of all the great but simple things in life. Okay. So, you know, the really awesome smell in the bakery or when you're in a really long line and suddenly a new till opens up and now you first, <laughs> yeah. you know, finding money in your pocket you didn't know you had. Yeah. Silly little things like that, but that are just awesome, yeah. right? Um, so finding the awesome in the little things in life. And so for various reasons last school year, our department was just really dragging uh, feeling overwhelmed and a bit unmotivated. So I said, you know what, guys, let's let's do a wall of awesome in our office. So we have a physical wall of awesome yeah. on this, like, blackboard because our office is an, a re- repurposed school classroom. Okay. Um, and then we have a, a kind of an e-version of our the same ones go onto this Google Doc. Um and, you know, we put personal things like one SLP paid off her mortgage this year <laughs> or, uh, you know, I'm, I, I got pregnant this year and I've been trying for a couple of years. So stuff like that. And then we have work related things like a parent who cried one time when she saw the progress her child had made in therapy Aww. mid-year, whatever. Like, yeah. Um, so or, you know, silly things like one, one of our staff members got a, a new desk that like is really going to work properly for her, you know. <laughs> So some of them are silly and some of them are really profound, but we put them on there and it really just keeps us motivated. And I had decided that, um, you know, when I was making that, I thought, hey, let's make one for, you know, on the web because it's kind of what I do. So, <laughs> so I created a digital wall of awesome for SLPs around the world on this site called uh, wallwisher.com. Okay. And then I, I blogged about it and said, hey, you know, throw up stuff. It was about a year ago, I guess. My blog is kind of suffering this year. It's been a busy year, but it should perk up again in the, about three months, two right, months yep. after I've had my baby Maybe. and I'm home. Leave. Maternity <laughs> leave, yep. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so I have this digital wall of awesome that people, and I've been encouraging people to post on it, you know, about the big and little successes at work. Yep. Um, and so it's all with calm slash wall slash awesome SL peeps, I think. But if you if you go to the blog, the blog post is called uh, SLPs are full of awesome. <laughs> so you can Google actually SLPs are full of awesome and find the blog post. Great. Yeah. I it I don't know. It was just something to perk our department up and then I thought I'd throw it out there to the universe as well. Yeah, it's a great idea. And you said the the author was ha- was having some dark times and I th- I think in the National Health Service over here at the moment we're de- <laughs> we're definitely in some dark times. So yes. I think um the wall of awesome is a brilliant idea and I want I want to start a physical wall in my office absolutely and and get started awesome. with some positive things because yeah, it's it's sometimes easy to get a bit bogged down with with the little it things. Really isn't is, it is, right? And we as humans, we focus on on the negative and you forget about the positives and I think this is a really you know Neil was on to something there um and you know even his Dubai's book is the book of awesome I think he also has the book of even more awesome (laughs) just this year was released um they're really kind of fun reads and they really perk you up um or his blog is free 1000awesomethings.com they're just they really perk you up and give you an idea of like just how simple you can go you know, like warm socks out of the dryer. Just how simple things can be, but they're like, they're pretty awesome, yeah. you know? And it, yeah, so. Absolutely. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. What a great way to end the podcast with thinking about <laughs> awesome. So um, thank you very much for your time, Tanya. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more about different ways of working, and get control of your time by prioritising your caseload and negotiating expectations, 
Join me for the Therapy Ideas Workshop. It's a full day event at Sadler's Wells in London on Friday the 12th of October 2012. For details and to buy your ticket, go to therapyideas.org forward slash workshop.